Why don't you open with me in your Bibles this morning? We're going to continue moving through Philippians. Um, We've made it out of the first two verses, so we're into verse three today. Excited about that. Um, If also, uh, as you turn there in your Bibles, uh, open to Romans chapter 10 as well. We're going to look at a passage from Romans chapter 10 uh, towards the end of the message. Uh, But Philippians chapter one is where we're going to start this morning. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, we'd love to give you a Bible as our gift to you. And so if you need a Bible, our ushers would be more than honored and blessed to bring you a Bible. Just slip up your hand. We'll give you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you could take that one home as our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. All right, Philippians chapter 1. We're starting in verse 3 today. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, that you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, in a world where we're just so full of lies and deception, a world where there's just so much deceit, a world where there's so many half-truths and false news and fake news. What a joy it is that we can gather with your people, Lord, not to hear fake news, but to hear the good news, to hear the glorious gospel of your son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you have redeemed us, you have saved us, you have called us, Lord, out of darkness and into the marvelous light of your Son. Lord, help us as we spend time in your word today for for your plan and purpose for our lives. Lord, both as individuals and, and also corporately as a church body. Lord, that it would come into greater focus. Lord, that we would see it more clearly. Lord, that we would understand more, more about you and, and who you are and, and your work that you're doing in the world today and how you're working through us, your church. Lord, thank you for each one who's gathered here. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, there's, there's two main sort of threads running through these five verses this morning. There's, there's some theological truth that, that talks about who God is and some things we can learn about God and, and how he works in and through us and through the gospel in our lives, some theological truths. But then the second thread that's running through this passage is a, a, a relational thread that we see between Paul and these Philippian believers, the, this church here in Philippi. And this morning, I want to focus in on this relational thread uh, that we see here. Next week, I'm going to focus more in on the theological truths that are, are embedded in, in these five verses but I want, to, I want to look at uh, this relational aspect between Paul and this church in Philippi 
And I believe that there are some things, some powerful things that we can learn as a church for how we can be a part of, of God's work in the world today as we look and examine this Philippian church. So the first thing I want to sort of highlight is the tone that Paul takes with the Philippian believers. It's not something that we're really used to as, as he is sort of gushing over uh, the, these believers, this church in Philippi, is, his heart is so full of joy and love for them. And, and even how he opens this prayer or this letter, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. He, as he opens this letter, and, and really this, the theme, the, one of the themes that runs through Philippians is the joy of the Lord, the, this, this joy that Paul has and this joy that he's expressing. And, and so the question is, as, as he writes to them and, and as he thinks about them, why is it that Paul is so joyful? What is it that, that is making him so full of, of joy, putting a smile on his face? Is it his immediate circumstances? Well, I don't know. Is he writing his letter from the beach in Hawaii? Like Don and Michiko are there now in Hawaii? Sipping on Mai Tais? Is that, is that why he's so full of joy? Well, of course not. It can't be based on his immediate circumstances. Paul is right now in prison in Rome, chained to a Roman guard. He's about the, the furthest place imaginable from a, 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 you know, life on the beach. 24-7, he has a guard chained to him. He's in prison, not for doing a bad thing, but for doing a good thing. In fact, he's in prison for doing what God called him to do. But there he is. Not only is he in prison, he's been there for close to four years he was imprisoned two years in Caesarea Philippi, another two years in Rome. He's awaiting a trial. He doesn't know what the outcome will be. He's, he's hopeful that he will be released and able to do ministry again, but he doesn't know. He may be awaiting his death. So what is it that as his thoughts drift towards these believers in Philippians, as he sits down to write them this letter, what is it that fills him with joy? And why does he feel this way about this particular group of believers? What's interesting as you think about it is he didn't feel this way about everybody. As you read his other letters, he didn't start them this way. In fact, to the Galatians, he writes, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's a little bit different than I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. To the Galatians, he goes on to say, I am astonished that you have deserted Christ and turned to another gospel. Wow. That's how he opened the letter. He goes on to say in the letter, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain, and I am perplexed about you. To the Corinthians, he says, it's not for the better, but for the worse when you gather as a church. 
He tells them that they're, they're so messed up as a church, it would be better if they didn't even gather right now. That's, that's pretty messed up. He even tells the, the Corinthians, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. <laughs> that's like, could you imagine? Could you, could you imagine if you came in for counseling with me and I sat down and I told you, I'm so glad I didn't baptize you. <laughs> I mean, goodness gracious. Why did he tell them that? Well, because they were having divisions in the church. They, were, they had factions set up within the church. Some people saying they followed Paul. Some people saying they followed Peter. Some people saying they followed this other teacher named Apollos. And what he says is that if I had baptized many of you, you would have put it as some sort of feather in your cap. You, you would have used it as some sort of like, like some sort of uh, uh, currency within the church to, to so, sort of get ahead politically on the pecking order within the church. So he tells them, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Over the sin in the church, he says, you are arrogant and you should be mourning right now. But that's not the tone he takes with the Philippians at all. He enjoys a, a, a unique relationship, a, a special relationship with this group of believers. And so the question is, what makes this relationship between Paul, the apostle, the church planter, the missionary, what is it that makes that relationship so special? Why is this church so near and dear to his heart? Well, he answers that question in verse 5. He says, the reason I thank God for you always in every prayer of mine, that, and you have made my prayers full of joy, the reason is, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Well, Paul loved all the churches he planted. He loved the believers in those churches. Most of those churches in Paul's life became a burden to him, a burden that he had to carry because false teachers had come in. They believed false doctrine. They were living in constant sin, it became a, a real burden to him. But the Philippians were not that. They were not a burden to Paul in the least. In fact, they had been nothing but a blessing. He says, because they had partnered with him in the gospel. This church in Philippi hadn't received false teachers. The church in Philippi hadn't turned their back on Paul. The church in Philippi hadn't uh, uh, continued in gross immorality. In fact, the church in Philippi had pressed on and continued in the teaching that Paul had given them, and they had pressed on unto maturity. They had become a mature church, a mature congregation. They weren't like these other churches, constantly straying away from the Lord. They had remained devoted to the Lord and pressed on to maturity. And from, and from the letter in Philippians, I can see there are three things, three signs, three clear ideas that this was a mature church. And so I want to look at these three 
marks of a mature church that, that Paul, that we see here in Philippians. And as we go through them, I, I want us to think about our church. I want us to think about Destiny Church. I want us to think about, about us together as a church and, and where we are and where we individually fit into the mix of, of being a mature congregation. Now, certainly there are more than three signs for a church that is mature, but there are three obvious ones that I see in the Philippian church. And so I want to highlight them for you uh, this morning. The first is, we find it in verse number one. I know I told you I was done with the first two verses, but we're, for one second, let's go back and look at verse one again. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. The first mark of a mature church is that this church has biblically qualified leadership. The church is being led by people who are qualified leaders. They have, they have a, a clear governance structure. And, and I want you to understand that part of of the church leadership. It's not just the elders and the deacons, but it's also the members, the saints of the church. The saints have a very important role to play in the life and the leadership of a church. You might sit there and think, well, what is that? How, how, what do I play? What part do I play? I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. What part do I play in, in leading in the church? Well, the, the number, one of, one of the most clear ones that you may not have even considered is you, you play a part to play in uh, the, the type of leadership that you put forward as a church. I believe the church members are responsible for the pastor that they sit under. Now you might say, well, how is that? I don't understand that. Well, because if a church will sit under a, a person that is not qualified uh, by biblical mandates, and they will support that unqualified person in their ministry, I believe they are responsible to God for that. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> that, that if a church does not have a qualified pastor, according to the word of God, which we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 2, or Titus chapter 1, that the member, the saint, the holy one, should move to a church where there is biblically qualified leadership. Amen. Should not sit under, should not support someone who is not qualified to be a pastor according to the word of God. And, and I hope you've noticed I've said according to the word of God every single time. Because it's not what we think. It's not the ideas that we have. It's not our list of what we would like to see in a pastor that matters. It's what God's word says. Right? So it's not, you know, oh, I want him to be good looking and I want him to be in shape and I want him to have a perfect smile and I want him to start every sermon with a, a joke and I want every sermon to not be longer than 15 minutes because the Cowboys kick off at a certain amount of time. No, it's, it's what does the word of God say? And uh, back when we were going through our church series, our series on the church, 
Uh, we went through that. We, we spent a whole week looking at leadership within the church and what does, it, what does the Bible say about that? And so I believe the church members have a responsibility, the saints of God, the saints of God have a responsibility to not sit under false teachers. And to either, if, they, if it's within their authority to um, remove that person from leadership, there, there are, within our bylaws as a church, there are checks and balances in place that if I were to start living a life of immorality, if I were to fall into unrepentant sin, uh, that th there's, there are means by which, the, by which the church and the elders could remove me from leadership. And if that's happening, the church members should do that. And if they can't do that, then they should leave and go and support a place that has biblically qualified leaders. Now, that's the first thing that we see. We see they have members, saints. We see they have overseers, elders, and they have deacons. Now, we've had overseers, elders, and deacons my whole life, as far as I can remember. We've always had elders and deacons. That's how the, the I don't know who set that up, if it was our founder, Leonard Coote, or my grandfather, John Bell. It happened a long time before I discovered America, but um, it's the way it's always been. And, and the reason it is that way is because that's the way the Word of God teaches that a church should be structured. And so from since I was, since before I was born, our church, Destiny Church, has been a, a church that is committed to the Lord, committed to His Word, and committed to doing what it says with regards to church leadership. Now, in the, in the past few months, we've made efforts to grow in our our ministry of the deacons, and, and we're, we're starting to see that ramp up, and, and I'm very excited about that. I, I think as far as us as a church, I think that brings us into to greater clarity, greater focus on, on who the Lord wants us to be as a church. But the first mark we see here is biblical leadership. Now, the second mark that we see is that as you read the whole letter of Philippians, there's no word of correction at all in this letter. There's not one single doctrinal error that Paul is addressing. He's not addressing the teaching of false teachers. He's not addressing uh, sin within the church. And this is the only one of Paul's letters that is that way. The rest of the letters that he writes in the New Testament all contain some correction, all contain a little bit of, the, you know, recourse, recorrection, getting the church back on track. But this whole letter doesn't contain one single correction. And I'm going to read the whole letter right now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I would encourage you, read through all of Philippians and, and notice the, the, the closest thing there is to, to a correction, you, if you wanted to put one in there, would be chapter 4, verse 2. He encourages two ladies in the church to agree in the Lord. Apparently, there was a couple ladies in the church that had some sort of disagreement. Maybe they were fighting over whose enchilada recipe to use for the church potluck. You know, I don't know. 
But there was some sort of disagreement, and Paul encourages them to agree in the Lord. Now, compared to the other corrections that Paul gives in his other letters, that doesn't even hit the radar for me. When you look at the, all of the corrections, all of the issues in First and Second Corinthians, let me give you a, a little bit of a list in First and Second Corinthians, some of the problems that they had. They were, again, divided over their, the, the preachers that they were following. There was factions within the church. There was gross immorality in the church involving, involving incest and prostitution that was open and known to all the members. It wasn't like someone was hiding it in a corner and everybody knew about it. Nobody did anything about it. There was church members who were suing each other and people getting on either side of who's right and who's wrong in these lawsuits. There was confusion about marriage, about divorce, about sexuality. There was division over what kind of food that they could eat in the church. There was an abuse of spiritual gifts that needed to be corrected. There was divisions on how to worship as a church. There was snobbery during communion, during the Lord's table. There was this like class, classism going on where they weren't serving the Lord's table to people who were poor. They were only serving it to people who were wealthy. There was people who were drinking so much of the communion wine that they were getting drunk during the church service. That's a lot. That's a lot. And again, that's why we use the little cups here, so <laughs> we don't have that problem. We figured it out. 2,000 years of church history, we figured it out. Little cups. They were putting people on a pedestal because of their, their use of spiritual gifts. Oh, this person has this gift, and, and wow, isn't, aren't they so amazing and awesome? And and neglecting others who faithfully served within the church with their gifts. There was misunderstanding about the resurrection. Some people were, were believing and teaching that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. There were all kinds of problems in, in the Corinthian church. Not one issue does Paul correct in the Philippian church. That's the second mark, the second thing that we see from the, Corinthian, uh, from the Philippians. And then finally, this third mark that we see in verse 5. He says, I'm filled with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. If you flip over to chapter 4, verse 14, he, he brings their partnership with him in the gospel into greater focus. As he writes to them, he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, he's talking about his, his second missions trip when he planted the church in Philippi. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, so as Paul went from Philippi, Macedonia to Thessalonica to plant that church there, he says, even 
There, though they were close, nearby proximity, neighbors, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What that means is that as they partnered with him, as they, they supported him and his ministry, as, as he puts it, as, as they shared in his trouble, as they sent him love offerings to support his ministry, he says that there is fruit that increases to their credit. What that means is that as God looks down from heaven and, and he sees and, and you know, some, the, Paul says, some plant, others water, but the Lord's the one that brings the increase. So as Paul says, as I'm preaching the gospel, I'm planting the seeds, I'm watering the seeds, but as the Lord looks down from heaven and as he brings the increase in the harvest of souls through my ministry, he says, this fruit increases not to my credit, but to your credit. That the Lord looks down and he applies the, the blessing, he applies the, the credit not only to the Apostle Paul, who did the work, who, who was beaten up, who was put into jail, who, who suffered, but also to the ones who partnered with him. That's amazing. You know, all of us, we will stand before the Lord one day. And as we stand before the Lord, we're, we're, not, we're not going before, uh, the, 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 we're not going to stand before the Lord on merits of whether we should get into heaven or not. When we stand before the Lord, he's going to tell us we're washed in his blood. We're saved by his grace. We're, we receive it by faith. We're, we're not saved by any of our own works. Those of us who are in Christ, we're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, come on in. However, he's also going to judge our works for him. Not, not on whether or not we should get into heaven but on the rewards we will receive when we get there. Did you know that? The Bible teaches that there's different rewards for, for different laboring in the faith who, who labored in the harvest field. And those who labored well and labored much and, and produced much fruit and were faithful to the Lord, they're going to receive a greater harvest than those who, you know, made it into heaven smelling like smoke, you know, like had the back, their back hind singed, they barely made it in, you know, like those who put their faith in Christ but, but never did anything for the Lord. Those who partnered with, with, with those who were preaching the gospel, uh, what I want you to see is in our partnering, we are also reaping rewards for ourselves in heaven. And that's an amazing thing. In fact, I think that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> that I can, I can send support. I can, as we support missions, as we support missionaries who go out and they suffer and they get beaten up and thrown in jail, I get credit. I think that's a great deal. Amen? Is that not what the Apostle Paul is saying? Not that I seek the gift, but seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
that we share in, in the rewards of those ministries that we support. That's the, the, the kingdom economy at work. Verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So, so not only did they support him when he was in Thessalonica, we also see him sending, them sending support with Timothy and Silas while Paul is in Corinth. But even as he's in prison in Rome, they sent this young man with him uh, from Philippi, a man to encourage Paul, Epaphroditus, along with gifts, along with offerings. He says, I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then in verse 9, he goes on to say, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What a blessing. The partnership that they shared. No other church supported Paul this way. No other church got behind his ministry this way. No other church not, not only sent him financial gifts, but, but was writing to him, was, was sending letters, was sending even people to go and encourage him. And so this is why Paul is so filled with so much joy and so much uh, emotion and so much love. It's because this church is a mature church. They haven't turned their back on Paul. They haven't rejected Paul, but they've opened their hearts to him and, and they love him and they support him and they pray for him and they are with him in the gospel. Again, he says it so clearly in verse 5 of chapter 1, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They never stopped. They kept being faithful. Even when at times, I, I'm sure they were a little bit confused, you know. Paul, you've been in jail for four years. Could we see, a, a, we, we need a missions report from you. We, we need to see your, 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 your tally of souls has sort of dropped off, Paul. We're going to drop our support and we're going to send it to somebody else that can produce. You know, they're not always in jail. You seem to always be in jail. So we're moving our support to someone who's not always in jail. No, they were faithful to him. They believed in the call of God on his life. They believed he was a man called by God. And so they stood with him from the first day, even through his imprisonment, financially, but also spiritually, prayer and encouragement, practically sending people to, to, to go and to bless him and to lift his spirits. And they stayed faithful in their generous support. So I believe one of the marks of maturity within a congregation, but also in general in life, one of these marks of maturity is when someone begins to look after not only their needs, but also they have eyes to see, to look after and to care for the needs of others. That's one of the marks of maturity as an individual and also as a church congregation. It's a very immature person that only ever puts his or her needs first before anybody else. That's a mark of immaturity. 
You know, as someone with four small children, I'm, I'm constantly trying to get my kids to not just think about themselves all the time, but to lead them into maturity thinking about others, having eyes to see the needs and the burdens of others. And, and what, is, what are the ways that God has uniquely gifted them to be able to meet and, and, and to carry those needs and to lift those burdens? Paul writes to the Galatians, bear one another's burdens. Lift each other's load. Help one another out. That's, that's one of the marks of maturity, not only for a congregation, but also for individuals. And so if we look at these three marks of maturity, biblical leadership, Paul having no word of correction for them, and, and their faithful and generous support of missions, how does Destiny Church do under this criteria? I think we do really well, actually. To, to be honest with you, in fact, as, as I prepared this week and, and was thinking about our church and was thinking about, I've, I've been pastor now for seven years and thinking over the last seven years and, and some of the, the, the hard times that we've been through as a church, you know, we've been through some hard times, we've been through some valleys, but I've also thought, I, I was thinking about the the ways that the Lord has worked in our lives together. I've, I thought, I was thinking about the, the salvations that we've seen, the people come to the Lord. I was thinking about the way the Lord has provided, oftentimes miraculously, even financial provision for people. I was thinking about the way that the Lord has, has healed, brought physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing in our church. I was thinking about the the some of the people that we've mourned with as we've laid their loved ones to rest as a church family. And I was just thinking of all the highs and the lows. And I, it was really amazing what, what ended up happening as I was reflecting on our church was, like Paul, I was filled with so much joy thinking about Destiny Church. Thinking about you, I, I was just really overwhelmed with what a blessing what a blessing this church is in, in, in this community and what a blessing this church is in, in the world and, and that I get to be a part of it is, is overwhelming. I was so filled with joy. Now, I'm not going to say I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus, but I will say I was filled with joy, okay? I don't really know what that yearning is. Well, you know what? If I was in prison for four years, I bet I could say I yearn for you. You know, let's, let's zero in on missions here for a second this morning. Last year, you gave to missions $595,284.69. That's awesome. That's awesome. The, the Lord has uniquely uh, blessed this church with a, a missions vision, a missions heritage, a, 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 a legacy of partnering with those like the Apostle Paul who take the gospel to people who, who need it, who take encouragement to believers that are, are struggling, who are, who are even persecuted and oppressed as we see the Apostle Paul doing. We're, we're, we're unique in this. We, we uh, are used uh, by God for 
many other churches and many other ministries send their mission support through us because they trust us, because they believe that we're people of integrity and, and that when they send a dollar to a missionary through us, that that missionary gets a dollar. And not 99 cents, not 97 cents, not 90 cents, not 50 cents. That, that we don't skim any off the top for, for our own admin and our own operations, but we send 100% to missions. And when you give a dollar to missions, whether you give $1, $1,000, $100,000, if you give it to missions, 100% of that goes straight to missions. Even as a church, and this was set up, again, long before I ever was here, our church, every Sunday morning offering, every time you give a tithe or you give an offering on Sunday morning, when we take that offering and we count it up, 10% of that we take and it goes straight into our missions account. So you support missions even if you've never given a missions offering. Any offering you give, every offering we give, 10% goes to missions. We believe in that tithing principle, and so even as a church, we tithe to missions. And so you might say, well, why such a heavy emphasis on missions? Aren't there people in our community that need to hear the gospel? Aren't there people in our neighborhoods that need to hear the gospel? Why, why such an emphasis on, on supporting those who go? And, and, and why don't we use those resources here in San Antonio? Well, let me help you understand we, are, we believe in foreign missions because we believe the Bible. That's why. Jesus said, Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. You might say, well, why should we pay attention to that? Well, because the guy who said that just rose from the dead. The guy who said that is the son of God. The guy who said that just before he said that said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Amen. Just, just after saying that, Jesus who said that ascended into heaven to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's a position of power, a position of authority. And so if a church is going to be obedient to its master, the one who purchased us from sin and death and shame and hell, we have to be a missions church. There's, there's, there's no other way about it. And so there's the biblical emphasis, but there's also the historical emphasis that we have uniquely as our church was founded by a missionary. My great-grandfather, Leonard W. Coote, founded this church in 1941 during World War II. We, this month, our church turns 80 years old. We're, we're 80 years old as a church. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good for 80.
But as our, our founder was a missionary, and as soon as uh, World War II ended, he, he turned the church over to my grandfather, John Bell, who continued to pastor the church uh, for about 40 years. And Leonard Coote went back to the mission field to be a missionary. Twice during their pastorate, John and Ruth Bell, they felt the call to missions. They resigned the church twice to go and to be missionaries in Japan. During one of those stints in Japan for, I think they were there for about four years, Brother Archie Alderson and Sister Vername, they pastored the church during that time. One of our elders, they're still here with us this morning, Brother Archie and Sister Verna. John and Ruth Bell, they came back so fired up for Japan that Archie turned the church back over to them and they went to Japan for, well, I don't know, 40 years? How, how long were you guys in Japan? 42 years. Missionary, planting churches, churches that are like ours. Little outposts for the kingdom of God. Places where believers love each other, serve each other, worship the Lord together. So not only is it a biblical mandate, it's our history and it's our heritage. And I honestly believe that you can't be a Bible-believing church and not be strong on missions. I asked you to, to open to Romans 10. Let's look at that very quickly this morning, Romans 10. Let's start in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How many of you, that's you, that describes you this morning. Amen. Amen. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the, one, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in the Lord who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a blessing. What an affirmation that is to all of us here today. But verse 14 he says, How, th how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So to believe, be able to call on the Lord for salvation, you first must believe in the Lord. And how are they to believe in him of who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What Paul is saying here is that for those for, for people to be saved, they must confess with their mouth. For, for them to confess with their mouth, they must believe in their heart. For them to believe in their heart, they must hear the gospel preached. And for someone to preach the gospel to them, they must be sent. They must be resourced. They, they, they must be prayed for. They, they must be blessed and sent out. And so that's what we do at Destiny Church. We, we support missions. We send missionaries. Why? Because there will not be salvation of the world. The, the world will not be discipled unless missionaries go out proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Amen.
And that's our mandate as a church, as the church, the, the capital C church, is to disciple the nations. Missions is a big part of how we do that. We will not win the world to Christ if we only focus on our community. And guess what? We do have local missionaries. You look at them every morning in the mirror. You're the missionaries for San Antonio. You're the evangelist at your workplace. You are the one that God has uniquely placed there. Unless God has called you to go, and if he has, you should go. But if he hasn't called you to go, he's called you to stay. But it's not just to stay and just, you know, clock out, clock out your 40, 50, 60, 70 years. No, it's to be effective in the kingdom of God and to support missions. Now, I want to show you a video this morning of one of our dear missionaries. Um, he passed away this year. It was Don Vickery. He passed away July the, uh, July the 25th of this year. And of all of our missionaries, I think I have a picture of, of me and him um, and my, our wives together. I, I thought I had a picture. Of, of all of our missionaries, the one who always reminded me the most of the Apostle Paul was Don Vickery. He was a church planter. Um, that was a couple years ago at our missions conference. He was a church planting missionary. God used him in a mighty way to plant churches all throughout Mexico. Then he decided that wasn't hard enough, and so God sent him to Peru to go up the Amazon River. He said as they would go up the Amazon, they knew that they were to plant a church when they could see the natives peeking out of the bushes. That's when they knew to stop because they had gotten so deep into the Amazon that the natives were interested in seeing who was floating by. And they would get off the boat and go into the jungles and plant churches in the jungles of Peru. They also ministered in Honduras. He's a powerful man of God. And recently, we had his funeral. And uh, they lived in Lavernia for a while. And they attended a church in Lavernia. As his health um, became that he couldn't travel so far on, to service on Sundays. And they had a funeral service for him there. And they, they showed this video and as he, was, as he was telling his story on this video, it just reminded me so much of the Apostle Paul. And it reminded me so much of this passage of how he's talking about how thankful he is to the Philippians for partnering with him. And so I wanted to just take a moment and show you this passage or show you this video of, of Don sharing his, his story of being a missionary. in the mountains of Honduras. When I was on the third year of International Bible College, I just knew that God had called me to be an evangelist. I had bought everything, the trappings of an event, the white shoes and, and the white belt and the ties and whatnot. But when I got on a mountaintop in Mexico under a brush arbor, 
When I watched the children and the people singing and I saw the fervency of their singing, the veins would stand out on their neck as they worshiped the Lord. It was at that time that the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, look around. And I looked around and he said, this give I unto thee. I went home, I got rid of those, the evangelist clothes. I, Got rid of the white shoes, got boots, got Levi's, and and uh, that's that's been in 1972. It's been over 40 years ago. When we went to the mission field, we went with a total income of $125 a month. That was all we had pledge of support. That was for church building, for Bibles, for transportation, for groceries, for educating the kids, for a place to live. It was hard in those years. We slept five side by side on the floor of a 17-foot travel trailer. We are church planters. We, we go in where there are no churches and uh, whatever way it takes to get a hold of the land and, and purchase the land or maybe some, some believer will donate the land. And we build the churches and we train, train pastors. The church planting that that we're doing now is not like Mexico. In Mexico, we planted over 30 churches and, and, and meeting places in Mexico. We built four deep jungle churches in Peru, and within a year and a half, there were seven deep jungle churches there. The, we were able to impart our vision to the tribes that live in that area. They caught, we took a spark, and they built a wildfire and it's still moving. In fact, those, those seven churches now are networking with another group to start the first Bible college on the Amazon River. God is faithful, and through the years, God proved His faithfulness. There are some hard times in missions, but the joy of, bringing, of birthing a soul into the kingdom of God makes everything worth it. Thank you seems so not enough for the supporters that support us in our work. The only thing we can say to you is that God Himself will reward you one day for caring. We can only say thank you, but Heaven will reward you for caring. So uh, Don's wife, Connie, is here with us this morning, and uh, we're just so blessed uh, to have her here with us. And uh, I think they're going to set up a little table in the back with some pictures of Don. And uh, if you just want to stop by and, you know, tell her thank you and we love you and it's so good to have partnered with you. And, but it's, a, it's an amazing thing um, that he was talking about there, that they planted 30 churches in Mexico, seven Four in, in the jungles of Peru, and then those churches planted, they multiplied themselves, that there were seven when he returned. I want you to know that, you know, we studied the book of Acts for a year and a half. We watched Paul go from, from place to place to place planting churches, and we said, wow, isn't that amazing, and isn't that awesome how God worked? I want you to know that that's not, that's not over yet. That, that's still happening today. And, and we get to be a part of that as we partner with missionaries, as we support what God is doing.